Hello, hello, you wonderful human being, and welcome back to another episode of the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And as usual, I'm also really excited to share this episode with you. I'm talking to Amit Chawla, who talks us through the autism diagnosis journey with his um, first son and the challenges that he and his wife faced in that diagnosis journey and beyond. We cover so many topics. We're really doing a deep dive. We're talking about person first versus identity first language, spotting the early signs, dealing with feelings of denial as a parent, and also the strains it puts on a, on a relationship when your child has autism. But then moving on to how he and his wife found a new normal and how they've even managed to find purpose through this experience. In fact, they now see the challenges they've been through as a blessing in disguise. How powerful is that? I talk quite a bit at the beginning of this episode because I'm just so excited to talk to Amit. Um, looking back, I wish I let him talk a bit more. <laughs> but as the episode goes on, um, he really gets more space to share his story. So please enjoy and let me know what you think of it. Let's roll the intro. G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations follow your heart. I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Amit, I'm really excited for this conversation and I know, um, you know, we've chatted before this and I really want people listening to hear your journey, um, both for you and also, you know, as a family unit in terms of your son, who I believe is now 13 and, and has an autism or who has autism. Mm -hmm. um, but we, before we get into that diagnosis journey and some of the challenges and, you know, how things have changed over time, I wanted to talk about something that's been playing on my mind recently. Because, um, you know, I have, I have a, um, a friend actually who has autism and, and an ADHD diagnosis. So I've you know, done research into it to try to better understand it. And there's a lot of conversation around how the language we use. Um, and I don't know how familiar you are with this, but, you know, there's there's people who believe in person-first language, so saying, you know, person yeah. with autism, and then identity-first language, so saying, aut you know, I'm autistic or that person's autistic. And my background is a teacher and we were always trained to use this person first language. You know, that child has autism. But the more reading I've done, I've actually learned that a lot of people in the autistic community prefer identity first language. So they like to identify as autistic, which I found surprising like that wasn't something I was aware of and there's actually this survey results of a survey that was done in 2022 and they surveyed over 11,000 people and over 4,000 of them were autistic and over half of them preferred to be identified as autistic 11% preferred to call themselves a person with autism and then about a quarter of them um, didn't mind but I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on it because it seems like this really there's a lot of conversation going on in this space and I think there's sometimes a lot of anger around it from people in the community but what are your thoughts yeah uh, I would think person first makes more sense a mm. person himself or herself is a person first and whatever right. condition they have is is secondary, right? Mm -hmm. A person should be treated as any other person. And if a person has some kind of disability, that that should always take a secondary position compared to the person. Mm. Now, I do agree. A lot of 
people uh, use the term autistic or my son is autistic or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. think about a person who's autistic having such a difficult life you've you've heard all of that mm-hmm. and i would say i as a person who's part of the special needs committee whose son has autism i am personally kind of neutral mm. uh, it's it's probably for people who are outside of it uh that are more touchy or right yeah yeah right uh, for me whatever people say it's not going to change what i think about a person who mm-hmm, has autism mm-hmm. right so i'm i'm neutral uh, yeah if if i'm asked to choose i'll i'll choose person first but mm. other than that i think it's 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 and i would say nothing that i would worry about there are so many other things that you think about and you worry about right. this is this is the least least of our concern yeah right yeah it's it's easy isn't it to get hung up on on the intricacies and yeah you know i think the decision i've come to is that if there's someone i'm talking to who has autism i'm just going to ask what their preference is you know if they like yeah. to be called autistic i'll just respect that um and when i talk about it i tend to say has autism like i feel more comfortable with that so yeah same uh, i yeah. i do the same thing a person with some kind of disability that's mm-hmm. how i like to address as well yeah. yeah yeah oh well that's good to know i guess in this conversation then if you're comfortable with me to say you know your son yeah. has autism rather than autistic yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay um well can you talk us through the diagnosis journey cuz you know as i mentioned your son's 13 but this has been a long journey um for your family so can you take us back and just talk us through what it was like what happened yeah so <clears throat> let's go all the way back 2009 is when he was born mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. it was it was a planned pregnancy uh, my wife and i waited for 5 years we thought the time was right mm-hmm. uh, let's go for a kid uh things things were normal the pregnancy was normal the delivery was normal uh it was a c section uh things were okay my wife had a little bit of postpartum but uh, that's to be expected a lot of mm. lot of moms go through that phase uh it was about i think 9 months or 10 months is when my wife started noticing that uh my son his name is ishan that mm-hmm. ishan wasn't uh tracking to the milestones uh, that that kids tend to right there there are books out there that clearly tell you that okay by this month your child should be doing this as mm. they grow older by 15 months they should be doing this they should be babbling and they should start talking and all those things so about 9 10 months uh my wife started noticing a little bit but again it's too early to say anything mm. uh about i think a year and a half things were a little bit more noticeable uh my son wasn't speaking uh right much he was babbling but again uh delayed in his speech mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at about 22 months uh we were in san diego california uh our concern reached to a level that we went and booked an assessment uh with a with a therapist i think or a child mm-hmm. specialist who do this kind of evaluation and uh help you understand what's going on so it was about 22 months uh they did evaluation it was an hour long evaluation uh mm. our son was able to understand he was able to follow instructions 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he was able to attend to um, the therapist. Uh, the only thing was he was not able to speak much. Right. So even at that evaluation, they said that things are normal. Uh, his understanding is good. Following instruction is good. Um, mm-hmm. There were no other signs. It's just speech. And kids sometimes do have delayed speech, so you don't have to worry about. So that was 22 months. Uh, then uh, about five, six months later, uh, we moved to Boston, Massachusetts, uh, because of my job. And again, uh, my wife was really worried. She was seeing other kids around her who mm. were progressing well, who were performing at a level that is expected, and our son was not. And at that time, uh, I, I relented. Uh, I would say that I gave significant pushback to my wife. Mm. Uh, I did not listen to her concerns. In hindsight, I should have paid more attention. She went through months of agony, me ignoring her concerns, and she suffering through all of this on her own. Mm. Uh, But that was hindsight. So around uh, 20, let's say, Two and a half, or I would say about between two and a half and three years of age, we did another evaluation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is something called early intervention where you can book it. It's a nonprofit agency, a government agency. Uh, you ask them, you tell them that you are concerned about your child progressing at a normal rate. They come home, they uh, play around with the kid, and then make an assessment. Mm-hmm. So we did this home assessment and uh, the the lady who came was very quick to tell us that things are not normal, that your mm. child has developmental delays. Mm-hmm. And she asked us, asked us to further consult a, a neurologist uh, to further do an evaluation. Right. Uh, uh, and then about, I think, uh, two years and 10 months is when we got uh, an appointment uh, with a renowned doctor here uh, in Boston specializing in special needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she she gave us the news that your son has what we call PDD-NOS, pervasive developmental delay, none other specified. Right. Uh, So at such a young age, that's the diagnosis they give because they are not sure how things are going to further Mm -hmm. uh, surface. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at that time, it was clear uh, that the diagnosis was there. Um, I was of two minds. Uh, it was obviously heart-wrenching to Mm. see that, okay, our son has a type of disability where his development is delayed. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I mean, we we had hope also. Uh, On one side, yes, we got a diagnosis. We were also worried about having our son labeled that, okay, mm-hmm. a diagnosis means that, okay, you are now being labeled. How will that be seen uh, in the school system? But then uh, our son's pediatrician uh, kind of told us that uh, in many cases, it's good to get the diagnosis because then you are able to get services. You right. you are able to... Uh, talk to insurance agencies and get all the relevant services that your son may need. So that was uh, two years, nine months. Uh, Between then and three years, uh, there was a moment where our son started speaking. He was speaking in sentences also at some point. And then within a span of, I would say, six months, 
he had major regression. Slowly, his speech went away. Uh, I remember uh, at some point, he used to go and look at the car plate numbers and uh, recite those for, uh, for us. He was very clear uh, in mm. his vocals. Uh, we thought that he was good with numbers, he was good with reading and all that, but then mm -hmm. slowly all that faded away. Mm. Uh, so about three years and few months uh, after we saw that major regression and that's when things started sinking in, that we might be in for a long haul here. Mm -hmm. um, that's when we consulted a couple of other doctors uh, the doctor that did the initial uh, diagnosis was in a way telling us that our son is in a much better situation. He doesn't have any kind of behaviors. There are other kids who are in much worse situation. You should feel blessed. You should consider yourself lucky that he has autism, but it is on the milder side. Mm. Uh, so it was good to hear those things, but slowly uh, our worst nightmares uh, started to come true. We started seeing behaviors. We started uh, to see how his speech completely vanished, uh, mm. how normal autistic behaviors uh, came to light. Uh, hand flapping, walking on tippy toes, uh, making noises, uh, all, all became normal to mm -hmm. us. Over time, uh, I would say four to six things, things became a little bit more tougher. He started going to the public school. Uh, public school wasn't able to handle him. We switched Towns. We moved to another town where we found out that uh, special needs services are better. Uh, moved to that town, started getting services. Again, we saw, okay, maybe things are getting better. Uh, it's said and it has come true for many kids that uh, if you get right services earlier on, it can make a difference. Uh, mm. For us, for us, unfortunately, that did not happen. Right. Uh, our son went to the special needs class. It was a separate class because of his needs. The school uh, system tried their best. The school was until the afternoon, but then there were challenges after school. How do we provide mm. services to our son? Mm. Um, after school and again our goal was to provide him as many services as possible we didn't want to lose time we want to mm. make sure that we are able to get services we are able to help him in whatever way we can but uh, things things were not going our way one part of that story that stood out is the specialist saying you know you're you should be, you know, feel lucky and it's just mild autism. But yeah. then, you know, your son lost his speech and, and those behaviours started coming out. Like, how did that feel for you and your wife? What what were the emotions like at that time? Things, things were extremely tough, extremely tough. Mm. There were uh, days uh, where we used to think how, how we can help this kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, things got worse even further. So up to six, he was a small kid. But then after six, as he started becoming a little bit bigger, his mm -hmm. behaviors changed uh, for the worse. Mm. He became aggressive uh, towards others. He became aggressive towards himself. And there were days when he'll cry for hours and there was no way for us to find out what was going mm. on. 
he'll just throw his body all over the bed. He'll turn the bed upside down and keep crying. And those were those were the days and nights that that were the worst, I would say. Uh, think think of a family member mm. who's just crying without being able to tell what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you are trying your best to soothe that family member, right? Mm-hmm. You are giving all kinds of medications. You are consulting all kinds of medical practitioners. We consulted uh, a pain specialist who is known to work with kids uh, without words, very young kids, and they are able to find out. And uh, I remember asking this doctor that how how would you or anyone treat a pet or a dog, right? Just think that they are not able to tell you what's going on Mm -hmm. and they are crying in pain. What would you do? And uh, that doctor is a very specialized doctor. They have been doing this for several years and all he had to say was that it was a behavior. He Mm -hmm. couldn't couldn't tell us if it was some kind of medical issue going on. It, right. He said it was behavior and it was hard for us to believe. Mm. Extremely hard for us to believe that how can a child start crying for no reason and can keep, then keep crying for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even, I mean, he would go s- asleep while crying. That was the toughest period uh, until he was eight. Mm. Uh, We tried to get services from outside. We tried to get therapists. However, uh, services are not easy to come by. Even though you have insurance paying for those services, the service providers are not available. the therapists that we were able to find used to just leave within a month or two. Wow. The the agencies were not able to provide us regular services uh, at home. We even tried center-based services where we tried to send him to a center for a few hours, but even that didn't uh, work out for us. I think it was probably... Some, I think during summer vacation, schools were off and we tried to find services for him. We used to send him to this center-based service center and even they they gave up. They said that they were not able to handle him. Wow. And at one point when I went to pick him up, I found him cornered in a cubicle all blocked away oh. from other kids just because he was too disruptive and he they were not able to handle him wow that's when that's when we realized that we were losing this battle there is mm-hmm. no way for us to provide the services that he needed he needed 24 by 7 support he mm-hmm. needed specialists mm-hmm. to take care of him mm-hmm. and we realized that we were doing him a disservice by not not seeking out an outplacement. Outplacement means a private school right. outside of public setting. So that private school, we had to hire an educational consultant. We consulted an attorney. We had to push the public school system to provide us these services. Now here in the States, all kids are entitled for free and appropriate education Mm -hmm, until mm -hmm. they are 22 uh, which is a significant significant help for families like ours Mm -hmm. Uh, what this free and appropriate education means is that if public school system is not able to provide the services or not able to provide the educational support that a kid needs they will pay for the private school. Right, yeah. So uh, 
we had to do a little bit of convincing. We had to tell them that our child is not progressing. His behaviors are out of control. We are not able to get all these services from outside. And for him to make progress, we do need a private school. So that happened. And when he started private school, within two months, we realized that he needs a residential support. Right. That's when, uh, yeah, that's when uh, I told you the story about how we found out that uh, even after the school, uh, we were not able to find services for him. Mm. And we were doing disservice to him by not providing him the support that he needed. And it was the toughest decision of our lifetime that we had to decide on his outplacement, his residential school. Mm. So that was when he was uh, eight, eight years and uh, three months, eight years and four months is when we had to send him to a residential school. I was on an easier side. My wife had a a very tough journey. Mm. She was home with him. I mean, she used to work when uh, we were in San Diego when until until he was two years and nine months, and then she left her job. She decided to focus on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, she used to be at home taking him to all the therapies, taking him to number of different centers, to different schools, different doctor appointments and all. And seeing him regress, seeing him further deteriorating uh, in behaviors and conditions was was a significant uh, hardship Mm -hmm, on her. mm -hmm. Uh, She went through a bad phase of depression. She went through a bad shape of anxiety. Mm-hmm. She did have to consult a psychiatrist for for a long duration. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that was until we sent him to the residential school. Even then, parents are the best advocates for their yes. kids. No one else will care for your kid as much as you would, mm-hmm. right? So you have to be on top of each and every decision, each and every step that you are deciding for your child. So at a residential school, we we have tried uh, our best to keep up to date as to what is going on, mm-hmm. um, uh, what programming is planned for him, how they are treating him. I would say uh, he is at the best possible place for his needs. Uh, the the teachers there are very caring, very mm. loving. the The programming he's getting there is amongst the best in the country, if not in in the world. Um, the institution he's going, he's staying at, is a forty year old institution, uh, well respected. Mm. Now. He's been in this group home for five plus years now. Mm-hmm. One good thing is his residential place or the group home where he lives is about what uh, thirty-five miles. So it, it takes us about thirty-five minutes. Okay, uh, one way. So we are able to bring him home every Sunday for mm-hmm. a few hours. Mm-hmm. He. He gets to spend good time with us. We take him out on uh, vacation, overnight vacation, two, three times a year. Uh, it's not it's not possible for him to fly uh, because okay. it's, it's uh, very distressing for him. Mm-hmm. And the kind of behaviors he has, it won't be possible for us to not disrupt an entire plane right. uh, of passengers. So we've been trying to take him to vacations uh, mm-hmm. to nearby places. Things things have been up and down. Uh, behaviors come and go. Issues come and go. Toileting issues come and go. Overall, I would say uh, things are a little bit better mm-hmm. compared to how things were probably 
when he went to the residential school. Mm-hmm. At that time, we were so hopeless. Uh, things were think were bad, worse for a period in between, uh, because of all the toileting issues and crying came back. Mm-hmm. But then again, things 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 are have turned out for the better. So we have seen these swings so many times that yeah. we we don't trust if things are going well. Uh, we know uh, most of the times that it's it's temporary. Right. And at the same time, we try to remind ourselves that, okay, if th- if things have turned out for the worse, we remind ourselves that, okay, this is again, it's it's temporary and uh, things will improve. Mm. But it's, it has been up and down for us all along. Whilst I don't have children, I know that having a child is... You know, it's a huge change, right, in in your life. And, you know, you and your wife went through that. And then there was the added change of your son getting that autism diagnosis and the long journey of of even getting that that diagnosis. And then the struggle of, you know, the behaviours that were coming out and all the challenges you and your wife were facing. And you've just mentioned how it's very much up and down. And I'd love to hear... You know, how do, how do you and your wife look after yourselves? Because I imagine that if you're not in a good place, it's really hard to advocate for your son and be there for him. So what do you do to make sure you're in good shape? When our son went to the residential school, he was eight, eight years and four months. Uh, and he was diagnosed, diagnosed when he was three. Mm-hmm. Uh, while both me and my wife were struggling uh, to get him services at the public school system, we, or I would say, I realized that things cannot continue the way they are. My wife's mental health was was getting worse mm-hmm. uh, and our son's situation wasn't getting any better that's when i thought probably best thing for us would be to go for another child uh, be it adoption or be it our own child because one thing is we wanted to have another person in our family who can probably mm-hmm. take care of our older one as as we get older or as right. as and when we go away mm-hmm. that was one reason second reason was i wanted my wife to start focusing on something else it mm-hmm. was too much of our our son with disability uh, where we were not able to help him much and that Mm -hmm. inability to help that helplessness was making situation even worse Mm -hmm. and i don't know whether you know or not uh, if if you have a child with autism the mm-hmm. chances of second child having autism are significantly higher compared right. to uh, you having a neurotypical child, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. knowing that it was a significant risk mm-hmm. that I was ready to take because of selfish reasons, I would say, right? One mm-hmm. was wanted someone to take care of our our child with disability second wanted to have some kind of control some kind of normalcy in our life yeah yeah and the the downside i could think of was what if our second child also has similar disabilities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the only way I could convince myself and my wife was the 
the upsides are much higher. The downsides mm -hmm. are there. Yes, there is a chance that our second child may have similar kind of disability. But we have gone through so much. We know the system. We know how to navigate this entire mm -hmm. system. We are much better prepared to help another child if he or she has the same disability. Mm -hmm. So it was it was not easy to convince my wife to go for a second one. I prevailed. Uh, and luckily, our second one um, is a neurotypical child. Mm -hmm. uh, when our older one went to the residential school, he was two years old. He doesn't have doesn't have much memories of him being home. Uh, but uh, our younger one, his name is Veer. Uh, we have, we are trying our best to raise him as a very kind human being, and we are somewhat successful. We can see that he can relate to the kind of disabilities that other kids may have. He was mm -hmm. uh, recently recognized, actually he was recognized twice this year for being kind to other people in his class. Yeah, wow. So uh, we, we are trying to see, uh, uh, and that's what we've been telling him. If nothing else, as long as he's kind to others, that is all that we ask for him from him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, he he has been he has been good uh kids being kids he's he's uh going to be turning eight uh we we try to remind him time and time again um that there are kids with different abilities mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you treat each and every person nicely uh we remind him time and time again uh, that there are people around who don't have the same kind of mental faculties like others. Mm -hmm. You have to respect each person for their abilities. So let's see. Let's see. Our hope is uh, that he will grow up as a kind human being. Uh, whether he'll be ready to take older son's responsibility or not we don't know uh things change lives change yeah, people have yeah. their own lives but let's see um, our our goal is as long as we are being kind as long as we are able to pass on our qualities to him hopefully hopefully things will turn out well yeah it sounds like he's well on his way to you know being a really empathetic person which is amazing and i think the fact that you and your wife are teaching him these lessons and that he has a beautiful brother who has autism that he's exposed to things i think that a lot of children aren't and his understanding of people's differences is i imagine just so much more vast which i think is yeah. is beautiful you mentioned before that you know before you you and your wife decided to have your second child the thought of someone to look after Ishan when, when you and your wife aren't here. I imagine that was a pretty, I mean, that's a full on kind of thought to have, isn't it? That I think many parents and families don't have to do that future planning. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is something I would say parents who have kids with severe disabilities Parents who know that their child will need their support for their entire life, they think about this day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And one of the most common things that I've heard from other parents who are in similar situation is that all of us would like, would love to live longer than our child who has disability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We know that no one else would care as much as we do. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that our child, as long as he's living, 
is being cared for, is being taken care of, right? So that has been our motto. Uh, this, so our son, Ishan, went to residential school in, I think, October 16 of 2017. 2017 is when I turned 40 and I started running. I mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that I'm in my best of health. Uh, I've been exercising regularly since then. I think it was November of 2018, I ran my first marathon. Wow, uh, yeah. And uh, I've been working out regularly. My goal is to run a Boston Marathon next year. Ever since our son, Ishan, went to the residential school, both me and my wife found time on our hands, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So much of our time and energy was focused on Ishan that all of a sudden we had ample time. And I started running. Uh, we had to decide as to what... Uh, my wife, her name is Pooja, what Pooja has to do. She decided mm -hmm. to go back and uh, advance her legal studies. She has a, a legal education back from India. Uh, she was working as a paralegal in San Diego, California, but she never mm -hmm. sat for an exam to become a lawyer in the States. She okay. is a lawyer from India, but uh, mm -hmm. she never sat for an exam in the States. So after our son went through the residential school, she went back to uh, school, got additional credits so that she is eligible to sit for what we call bar exam. Uh, it's it's mm -hmm. the exam mm -hmm. that attorneys have to take. Um, so she studied for two years, went through all those courses, then started preparing for the bar exam. Uh, December of 2021 is when she passed her bar exam. So she is a licensed attorney here in Massachusetts. She's been working as an attorney for more than a year now. The moment she passed the bar exam, she decided to go for higher education. So not only she's working full-time as an attorney, she's also doing a part-time master's in law to further specialize in special needs law. Wow. And uh, elder law. Uh, so she's been she's been busy uh, focusing on legal education and she's further specializing in special needs law as we speak. And I've been focusing my energy on the financial planning side of okay. special needs. So over the years, uh, I've, I've become a certified financial planner, professional, and also chartered special needs consultant. Our goal is to help the special needs committee together, her focusing mm -hmm. on the legal side of the matters, I'm focusing on the financial side of the matters. And together uh, in, in the future, I mean, I do have a full-time job. My full-time job is a software product manager uh, mm -hmm. for for wealth management industry. So it's kind of related, but not, not proper planning. But mm -hmm. longer term, uh, when I retire, I do plan on joining my wife and completely, fully uh, supporting the special needs committee in all all special needs comprehensive planning. That's amazing. I mean, it, it really sounds like you and your wife have found such powerful purpose. You know, you're it focusing is. on your it health, is. you've started a business, your wife has become a licensed attorney. Um you know, and is is now studying a master's and it just, it's so beautiful to hear that something so positive has come out of what was and what still is such a hardship and a challenge for you both. And that is what I, I, I and my wife discussed, that it's a blessing in disguise for us. Without mm -hmm. our son, uh, we would not have found that purpose. Uh, mm -hmm we now know 
what we are going to be doing and how we are going to be doing and how we are going to be supporting others. And we know that maybe 20, 30 years down the line, we would have done something, something much bigger than ourselves, something mm -hmm. uh, that would have, that will be making difference in so many other lives. Let's see. I mean, that that's, that's the hope. That's the hope. Uh, life has its ups and downs, uh, has mm -hmm. its surprises, but that's what we are hoping that, okay, over the next couple of decades, we will be able to touch many lives. We will be able to help others who are going through the same journey, who will mm -hmm. be going through the same journey. Mm -hmm. And we are able to come quite far in this journey. And we believe we are in a situation that we can help others. You'll be leaving such a beautiful legacy for both your sons and I think the community at large, which is amazing. What a what a special way to live. Um, and sort of to wrap up, one thing I really want to touch on is I'm sure some people listening are, are going through a similar journey and perhaps haven't found or come to the realisation that it can be a blessing in disguise. What wisdom can you offer to those people in terms of finding their purpose and actually finding the joy in life again? It's it's hard. Uh, yeah, there is there is no easy way. Uh, we believe that we have found a purpose. We mm -hmm. believe that we are trying to do something good. We believe that whatever we are doing started started for selfish reasons. We mm -hmm. wanted to help our son in best possible way. And we had right background to focus on the right thing. So my wife had legal education, I had financial education. So we have, we tried to look at what we had we tried to look at what we can do this came out of selfish reasons now whether it becomes much bigger that has to be seen to be honest mm -hmm. so what i would suggest people is to not lose hope always always try to seek help there there are different ways to seek help right you can seek help mm. for your mental condition you can seek help for financial purposes you can seek help for legal things also but even what you should focus on try to identify it yourself try to see how you can position yourself to help not only your other family members, but also yourself. Because as we say, until and unless you are caring for yourself, you will not be able to care for others. Absolutely. Right? So you have to keep that in mind. When you want to provide the best possible care for your family member with disability, you also have to make sure that you are seeking the best possible care for yourself because only mm. then you will be able to position yourself to help your special one. Yes, there can be uh, challenges with the resources. There can be challenges that I cannot think of. But if you put your mind to it, uh, there are ways. There are mm. a lot of good people, a lot of nonprofits out there who, who will be more than happy to guide you and to help you move, move mm. in the right direction. 
Yeah, that's that's such a powerful message. You know, I think two things I've really got out of what you just said there is don't be afraid to ask for help. And underlying that is you're not alone. I'm sure this journey can feel very lonely at times, but yeah. there is support out there if, you know, it's it can be tricky to find if you don't know where to look, but it is out there. And I loved what you said about not only seeking the best possible care for um, your loved one, but also yourself. Like yeah. that's powerful. It's, it's so, so important and a lesson that I'm constantly, you know, learning and relearning. So I think that's a really powerful one. I just want to say, Amit, thank you so much for for your honesty and sharing your story and the challenges and also, you know, some of the positivity that has come from that. I think it's mm-hmm. important to recognise the light, um, you know, and not to minimise our challenges or, or your struggle, but because there's balance in life, right? There is the darkness and the light and things yeah. do go up and down and, you know, something you were mentioning earlier is that it is temporary. You know, there'll be yeah. good times, the not so good times, but it yeah. it's cyclical and it will it will come and go. Before we leave, are there any is there a final message you'd like to share with people? All all I would say is just just keep going. Just keep going. Uh, try try to make every day count uh, especially for us where we have our kids who are going to depend on us you have mm-hmm. to keep progressing you have to make sure you are trying to make their lives better in some or the other form with each day that that you can contribute that's all i would say keep keep going through this journey keep asking for help as and when needed keep mm-hmm. making every day count beautiful and on that note thank you so much and i hope to talk you talk to you again soon likewise rosie If this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you next week.